Learn to love eating nutritiously always. Join Lana in the fight against type 2 diabetes. Visit lanafood.life. Welcome to another edition of Don't Eat Yourself to Death, sponsored by Lena. And we are just here today with my partner, Shalotta Carter. And we're talking to Dr. Brian Batch, a physician and endocrinologist. And she is going to bring us some different exciting perspectives concerning diabetes, some of its effects, and ways that we can fight this thing called diabetes. And now I shift over to my host, Shalotta Carter. Shalotta? Thank you so much, Rinaldi. And thank you, uh, Dr. Bash, for being here. I know you've been very supportive of what we're doing. We're like minds on, on how to approach diabetes and how to care for it. And it's, it's definitely our strategy at Lena to do so. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're super busy. And I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us the wonderful things that you're doing in, in your background so that our audience will know that they're getting some really good information from the medical community. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, working with you and just really exploring how we can eat better and live better um, lives and, and live healthier. Um, I'm an endocrinologist and I went to UNC for medical school, University of North Carolina um, here in Chapel Hill in beautiful North Carolina. And then did my endocrine fellowship at Duke University and then stayed on at Duke and I'm here as an associate professor um, at Duke University and also work at the Durham VA. Um, I have a passion for helping people to live healthier. And I chose endocrinology because I really love the idea that I live and work with someone and partner with them through their lifespan from the time that they are young with diabetes until the time that they're older with diabetes. I really enjoy getting to know my patients and really helping them through many of the challenges that they face with diabetes. I had many family members who had diabetes and it's one of the things that I think really encouraged me to become a doctor, to become a physician. And I watched my parents who were also physicians really partner with their patients um, in their own specialties. And so that's how I got my start. I spend every day thinking about how I can help people to change their behavior and to change their lifestyle. I don't like the idea of diets. I don't like the idea of not recognizing the individual power we have as people to make a change for the better. And the incredible part of it to me is that most of what um, I tell people to do or I suggest to people to do and I partner with them to do is free. Okay, these are not things that cost a lot of money changing our behavior, but it's difficult. And so I really enjoy sitting with people and helping them through that struggle of figuring out how to live healthier. When you are starting out, I would say, let's just take your, your patients that are children. How do you approach you know, working with children opposed to how you approach working with adults? Are you seeing a difference in when you're working with children and, and following them into you know, teens and things like that? to see that you know the recommendations are helping. Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm an adult endocrinologist, so I typically take care of patients who are older than 18, but we work really closely with pediatric endocrinologists because of course, as you have already alluded to, 
people, we have more children developing diabetes at younger ages and then transitioning into adulthood. Diabetes is always a team sport. It always takes many people. So for our kids and for adolescents in particular, their parents are usually very involved as are their schools and their teachers, their coaches, their extended family. But even into adulthood, we have patients who rely on their family, who rely sometimes on their children, their grown children, um, who rely on their spouses, significant others, church family. So I always think about diabetes as a team sport. Um, I think one of the most important aspects of diabetes at all ages, but particularly for children, is really fostering a good and healthy relationship with food. And by that, I mean, really starting at a young age, teaching children about food, nutrition facts, and how they can have a healthy diet that can then foster better diabetes control. And we have not done a good job of that as a country in the United States. Um, we focused a lot in the decades before now on fat and salt mm -hmm. without a real focus on carbohydrates or on glycemic index. And so that I think is probably one of the most powerful things that we can do for young people, um, but also for older generations is to really talk about nutrition and to understand what we're eating and what we're exposing our bodies to. And the second piece of that is physical activity. People really underestimate the power of walking, the power of being physically active. We've seen in the last year with COVID in particular that there's been a significant decrease in activity and a significant worsening of diet. And that combination has led to worsening overall for many of my patients um, in the last year. And so I'm having to reteach and to re-engage people in these lessons about diet and physical activity. But I'd say those are the biggest things. You, and you touched on the glycemic index. Talk to us a little bit because our Arlene approach is about glycemic index and glycemic load. So talk right. a little bit about why that's important and the difference between the glycemic index and glycemic load that and how it applies to, you know, to managing diabetes. Excellent question. So one of the things that I try very early on in education about diabetes with patients, I try to focus on the fact that the most important aspect of diet that raises diabetes is carbohydrates or sugar, okay, period. Um, and people don't really think about carbohydrates or sugar in sort of in a vacuum, right? And, and that's not how we build our diets typically either. So glycemic index is really about how much your blood sugar is raised by what you eat. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's standardized based on sugar as an element. And so you can go to many websites, you can use um, some technology. Um, Lena is a good example of the type of technology that can help people understand this better. But you can understand before you eat a piece of food, what the glycemic index is. And it really is a good correlate to how it's gonna affect your blood sugar. Um, but again, most people don't eat sugar in and of itself on its own. Most food is not built that way. We eat meals. So we eat in the context of meals. And so the concept of glycemic load is really about those mixed meals, about fat and carbohydrate and sodium and salt, things like that, and how they come together to really affect um, blood sugar. The great example of glycemic load and the difference between glycemic index and glycemic load is a, is a food like pizza. 
where you have a significant amount of carbohydrate or starch in the in the base of the pizza, but you have fat in the form of cheese on the pizza, and then you have many other components. And so that is a typically a, a difficult food to account for for patients with diabetes. Um, but really important to understand when you really break it down, it's not rocket science. It it's really about having the tools, I think, to help you know, individuals understand how to manage when they're going to look at what to eat on a daily basis. I, I, I can almost wrap my french fries in spinach and I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's, it's also about portion and yeah. that's, and that's actually what gets people in trouble sometimes because, you know, in this country, we have very calorie dense food that's small. Mm -hmm. You know, you can eat something very small that has a lot of calories mm -hmm. and a lot of starch and a lot of fat. And so, um, again, the, this idea of nutrition education, I think, is so critically important. And people sometimes will say to me, I have patients that say, you know, I'm not good with numbers. Um, mm -hmm. I have many patients who didn't go very far in school. And so they they equate, you know, they sort of think about their book smarts with their ability and I always tell people that that is that is a that it's not true you know dash that when you come in the door with me it's about starting from where you are so if you're not a numbers person I was never a numbers person growing up that's why I'm not a physicist you know um, I then it's about really helping people to have the tools and strategies mm -hmm. to really understand how to make better choices. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the things, because my journey really, when I got diagnosed and I was on insulin, right? And so, you know, during the six months that I went through um, the whole program with watching, you know, watching my glycemic index intake and managing and, and exercise and coaching, it was really very daunting. So I'm, yeah. it wasn't necessarily the numbers as it was, you know, okay, what's my number today? Or what's my number now? Got to go look and see what, you know, what glycemic index or glycemic load I can use and, and, you know, back and forth, what can I cook if I'm traveling? So that's that, right. that was the really hard part for me, which is, which really drove us to, you know, to develop this platform because I felt if it was difficult for me as a technologist, I mean, yep got to be difficult for, you know, you know, everybody else that's out there, you know, that's not in this technological world. So that's I, right. I, I totally get, understand that it's diet, exercise and coaching all sounds really easy, right? And sometimes it's really easy to start, uh, but it's not easy to continue sometimes. So that's right. That's right. It's something I think that's really important too, which is, you know, if you can tolerate eating boxed meals, then someone will calculate it for you. But that's not the way that we live as human beings typically. And it, and it doesn't take into account our own culture, right. the piece of us that is who we are, that home cooked meal, that feeling of family where there are no numbers attached. I don't know how much carb and you know salt and sugars in my grandmother's ratatouille or in her gumbo. I don't know. And so and I can't pay a company to figure it out. And some I may not want to know. So yeah, it's about being able to fit in people's life. So that's important. That's important. The importance of making Lena very easy and, and simple is, you know, as Shalada said, is the, the, the reason we, you know, come together and, and make it easy for people. If it's easy, they'll do it. If it's hard, they won't. And, and that's, that's, right. just, that's just human nature. 
Dr. Batch, yeah. what are some of the, the, the effects on, say, thyroids? And Because we know diabetes affects, as you say, individuals different ways. And, mm-hmm. and so how do they, what are some of the things that we can focus in on, on lipids and, um, and on thyroids? Yeah, so that's, it's an excellent question. So the first thing that I'll say is that there are different types of diabetes and we're learning a lot more about the different types of diabetes, but also the overlap. For some patients, there's a very significant autoimmune component, meaning that the cause of their diabetes is related to the development of what are called antibodies, things that are in the blood that circulate that go to the pancreas, the organ that makes insulin, and they kill the pancreas, or they make the pancreas work less well. And so for patients that have autoimmune background to their diabetes, thyroid disease is also very common. So thyroid disease and diabetes can go hand in hand for many patients that have that kind of autoimmune background in their history, personally, or in their family. Um, Lipids, so cholesterol control is actually so critically important in diabetes because we know that patients with diabetes are more at risk for heart disease and reducing or lowering the bad cholesterol in particular called the LDL is what helps reduce people's risk of developing heart disease and stroke down the line, okay? We also know that it has negative effects that cholesterol and elevated cholesterol can have negative effects on vascular disease as well, or blood flow specifically to the legs. And so there's increased risk for things like amputation and diabetes, for what's called neuropathy or nerve damage and diabetes. So sugar control and cholesterol control go hand in hand. How much of an effect do the drugs that work to control cholesterol like statins, how much of an effect, you know, because everything, every bottle you pick up has a side effect or several side effects. Absolutely. How are side effects, how are those balanced off in medication uh, that people take for diabetes? Yeah, so it, one of the interesting things that we've learned over time about the statin drugs, because those are the most commonly used, is that they can actually raise blood sugar by about 5%. So statins can raise blood sugar. And it's not usually a problem for patients that already have diabetes, but for people who are on the edge, who have what's called pre-diabetes, sometimes a statin can increase sugars enough that you can see people go from having pre-diabetes to diabetes. But what I'll tell you is that the, the risk reduction, the lowering of risk for heart disease and stroke with the statin medications is so tremendous that it nearly obliterates the risk of increased blood sugars with statin drugs, meaning that the positive effects of statin drugs on reduction in risk outweigh the negative of maybe having a little bit of a higher um, blood sugar. Now, we're talking about food a lot today, and what people don't recognize is changing your diet can dramatically lower your cholesterol. Okay, so again, the power of behavior and food and then I'll throw exercise in, of course, um, can lower cholesterol. And so for young patients that are less than 40 who have high cholesterol, they have a lot of power in what they do in terms of weight loss diet and exercise to be able to lower their cholesterol enough so that sometimes they can they don't need medication for their cholesterol. Um, now, of course, there are some patients who are different. Their cholesterol is incredibly high. They have a family history of heart disease before the age of 40. They're a different group. Um, But for the general person, for the 30-year-old who's overweight, who has high cholesterol, hasn't quite, you know, developed diabetes, 
weight loss diet are huge. They are everything for lowering risk of progressing to having worse disease, if that makes sense. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with our special guest, Dr. Brian Datch and uh, Shalada Carter, and I'm Rinaldi Jacobs. And you're listening to Don't Eat Yourself to Death. <laughs> 